0: Open up God's Word to Ephesians chapter three this morning, and I'll start by reading to you from the first thirteen verses of Ephesians chapter three. For this cause, I Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you word how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body, and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel." Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God, given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church, the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose, which he purposed in Christ Jesus, our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Now you have here in this church, you have a great pastor. He loves the people of God. He loves Jesus Christ. And he dedicates his life to serving that. And so I'm going to use him in an illustration for, for a moment here. I want you to imagine that in the course of his service to Christ, and the preaching of the gospel, and teaching of the truth, that he was arrested, not for doing anything wrong, but rather for faithfully serving Jesus Christ. And he's arrested, and he's put in jail, and you hear word that he's in jail, and of course the congregation is concerned about him, caring about him, wondering what's going on with him. Then you start to hear reports that as he's in jail, uh, the conditions there aren't very good. And sometimes he goes days without getting food. And then you hear that there are people that are out to do him harm, and they send thugs in from time to time to to beat him up and hurt him. And and you hear report of these things, and your hearts are concerned for what's going on. Well, another thing about your pastor is that he has a good reputation everywhere he goes, and he seems to to uh, win people over. They recognize his integrity and his character. And he he wins over at least one of the, the prison guards there, and they allow him to write a letter. And so he writes to the church, and in writing to the church, he says, you've heard about what I'm suffering. You've heard about my imprisonment. But I want you to know, I want you to know that God has a purpose in this. That what God is doing is more important than my suffering. And that this is part of God's plan for me to be able to serve him and serve his kingdom. And that his he reveals in this that his priority, the priority of his life, he doesn't want to suffer. Obviously, no one really wants to suffer. No one wants to endure pain or hardship or hunger, but that the priority of his life is that it is more important to him that the truth of the gospel get out to everyone that needs to hear it than it is that he would have the comfort and things that come with not going through those trials and those sufferings. Now, if you can imagine what that would be like, how that would affect all of us and the concern that we would have then you can begin to get your head into the mindset of what it must have been like for the disciples in Ephesus and other places when they knew that Paul who had ministered among them who had wept with them who had uh, preached among them who had uh, who had done many great works among them when they heard that he was a prisoner and that he was suffering. that he was often in, in hungering for many days. And enduring difficulties. And sometimes left for dead. And, and as he writes to them here. In this letter to the Ephesians. Which was also meant to be shared with the other churches. He encourages them. That though he's a prisoner. He's a prisoner of Jesus Christ. That, that his human captors. They didn't really matter. What mattered was that his life was now in the service of Jesus Christ, and to be a prisoner of Jesus is to be as free as you can be free, because his soul was free, because the Word of God was free. The as he said in another place, the Word of God is not bound, even though he was bound. And he encourages them, and he comforts them, and he says, he says, "I desire that you." Faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. He didn't want them to faint. He didn't want to imagine. Amazing. Amazing. And this is this is the heart of of a pastor in in Paul that even in the midst of all his sufferings, his desires for the people that they wouldn't grow weary, that they wouldn't be discouraged, that they wouldn't give up in the face of the difficulties that they saw him experience. Because he saw that, that all of his suffering was for a purpose that God had. And that purpose was, was a great purpose. If you've ever had in your life a great purpose, a driving purpose, or if you've met someone who is driven by a cause that, that, was, that they were passionate about and was deeply meaningful to them. Then you know that someone who has a cause, who has a great purpose in their life. Can endure many difficult things that that they they overcome weariness and they overcome suffering and they overcome difficulty and opposition and all those things because they are driven by a purpose. And that's how it was with the Apostle Paul. And that's how it, it should be with all of us when we get a hold of the importance of the gospel message that Paul was entrusted to. To proclaim, and that we are also entrusted with that message, uh, to obey it and to proclaim it and to share it. Something that he calls, that he speaks about as a mystery, which he was now given the privilege and the responsibility of revealing. And that's what I'd like to speak about today, to look at today is the mystery of Christ, what he speaks about as the mystery. Of Christ in verse 4. Uh, he mentions this mystery. Going back all the way to chapter 1. So we've seen it before. I've mentioned it before. But today we're going to dive into that mystery. <clears throat> I think many of us like mysteries. We like mystery stories. When you have a story. Where as the story unfolds. You realize that. Behind the scenes. Under the surface. There is a an important truth. That is running through everything. But it isn't yet been fully revealed. And then as you come to the end of the mystery story. The truth becomes exposed. And the mystery becomes revealed. And that's uh, what's happening. In that time. On a grander scale. Because it isn't just a mystery story. It isn't just about this one small thing here or there. It's about God's whole plan for his creation being revealed in real time in the time that Paul is writing. Um, I like to look up these these words from time to time to understand and, and looking at mystery it has many definitions but here are two of them which are perhaps most important. One a profound secret something wholly unknown or something kept cautiously concealed and therefore exciting curiosity or wonder a profound secret it says something that's that's been concealed and that's really at the nature of the mystery that god had a purpose all along that he had hidden that purpose he had revealed bits and pieces of it in the old times as the uh, as hebrews writes it says god at sundry times and in divers manners spoke in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. God revealed the truth in, in bits and pieces, but there were the big picture wasn't fully revealed until the fullness of time had come to reveal it. So it was kept hidden. God kept it secret. And in fact God had a good purpose for keeping it secret, which is pretty interesting as well. God didn't just keep it secret, just uh, for no reason, but he had a purpose so that he would successfully accomplish everything that he set out to do. He hid parts of it and didn't reveal them until the appointed time came. Uh, the other, Another definition is that which is beyond human comprehension until explained. And that's what's happening here with this mystery. Uh, this is a mystery which which we would not understand... Unless it was explained to us. But we're not talking about a mystery that isn't revealed. But a mystery that has been revealed and is being revealed. So it's something that we can understand a certain amount of it. Because God has revealed it. It's a mystery which is said that God had kept hidden in previous ages. But is now revealing through the gospel. Uh, The way it quotes it is like this. Which in other ages was not made known. Unto the sons of men, but it, it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So I want to go through this a little bit and look at some of the ways this mystery was revealed. It was revealed to the, uh, the apostles and Jesus' early disciples. Uh, the mystery revealed to the apostles. Then the mystery was revealed to the church, the mystery was revealed to the nations. And the mystery as it is revealed to the angels. Because they are spoken about here. Which we'll see. The mystery reveals. So uh, the first time that this idea of mystery is mentioned. In the New Testament. Is when Jesus is speaking in parables. Jesus often taught in parables. He told stories. That they, they had a kind of dual purpose to telling these stories. He would use. Examples from farming and agriculture. He would use examples from dealing with money and business. And he would uh, expound spiritual truths and I- illustrate spiritual truths by these parables. And so it had a way of <clears throat> revealing the truth to his disciples. But it also affected. Concealing the truth from those that didn't have eyes to see and ears to hear. Because in these parables, rather than necessarily just plainly articulating the truth, he spoke in parables so that those whose hearts were hardened against it wouldn't understand the things that he was saying. And so his disciples come to him and they say, uh, why do you speak in parables all the time? And he said to them, he said, unto you, it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. Catch that. To his disciples. And, and uh, we have the word of God as our heritage passed down to us, so we should include ourselves in that as well, because he hasn't hidden these things from us. He's revealed to them in his word. He says, unto you it is given. To know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And so we see that to have understanding of those hidden things of God revealed is a gift. It's God's grace that he would reveal it. And it comes by his supernatural power. Another time that we see is when Jesus talked to his disciples and he said, Who do men say that I am? This is this is the, the... Who Jesus is, is... Is, is the most important question for us to understand about, about Jesus and about our faith. Who is he? Everything hinges on that. Whether we ought to be gathered together week after week and day after day to worship him as our Lord and our Savior or just regard him as, as a great man and a good example, that is a pivotal difference. Whether our lives ought to be dedicated to his service, it depends on who he is. Who he is. And so, yeah, who do men say that I am? Some say you're a prophet, some say you're um, Elijah, come back from the dead, some or, or come back, some say you're this or that. And he says, But who do you say that I am? And Peter says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, Blessed are you, blessed are you, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. It was by supernatural power that Peter came into possession of this knowledge. He was not taught it by another person. He was taught it by the power of God revealing it to him. How did he know that? How did he know that when every when so many were blind to that truth? He said, "My Father which is in heaven has revealed this unto you." And so we see God uh, revealing to Peter and to his other disciples, revealing hidden truths by his supernatural power of the purpose of his kingdom and his identity. And that's that's the center of it is who Jesus is. But when we talk about the mystery, we're also talking about the whole purpose that he had in coming, in saving his people, in establishing the church. What he what is the meaning and the purpose of all that he was was doing. And that's what's being revealed in this mystery. And then another example, a great example, the one that we're, we have here from this text is the example of the Apostle Paul himself. The Apostle Paul wasn't always known as the Apostle Paul. He began his interactions with Christ and Christ's people by being a violent enemy of Jesus and of the church. And he did everything in his power to oppose them and to destroy them. He hauled them off into prison. He had them executed. He had them, he had them arrested. He had them uh, mistreated. He, he went through uh, everything he could do to try to destroy the church. And to destroy the name of Jesus from out of the world. And when he was doing it, when he was doing it, think about this. He thought... He was serving God in doing that. He thought that he was uh, serving God by wiping out what he saw as a blasphemy and a heresy, which was to say that Jesus Christ is Lord, that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And this is how some of the leaders of the people of the Jews that that they thought they thought when they heard Jesus say that hereafter, you'll see the son of man coming in, in clouds of great glory and angels descending and ascending on him. And they, they, the, the chief priest tore his clothes because he, he could imagine no greater blasphemy than Jesus essentially by those words saying that he is God himself and he is the son of God. To say that he would be coming with clouds of glory. These were words that were spoken about God in the scriptures. So if Jesus is not who he claims to be, Then that's a great blasphemy. So they thought by trying to wipe out him and his disciples that they were serving God. But they were ignorant. And Paul, he came to know that. He was on the road to Damascus. Marching to try to destroy the church. And Jesus Christ appeared to him. And revealed to him and showed him by the proof of his presence and his revelation. That he is in fact risen from the dead. He is, in fact, risen from the dead. He overcame death itself and therefore demonstrated who he is. And Paul describes this in a number of ways. But among them, he says, I obtained mercy. He says, I obtained mercy. And and then he goes on to say that the reason he obtained mercy was so that he would be used by God to proclaim that message among the nations, among the Gentiles. And... So uh, this from 1 Timothy 1, 15 through 17. He says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is a worthy saying said this is worthy of all. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. There's so much to that statement. He didn't just come to help the good people. Mm He didn't just come to deliver the good people from the trouble that they were enduring. He came to save, to deliver sinners like Paul, Uh, like Paul, who says in Ephesians, he says, I'm the least of all saints. And but here in Timothy, he says, Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief of whom I am chief If you want to take the group of sinners and put somebody at the very top of that, Paul was able to see himself in that light. And why did he see himself in that light? Because he persecuted the church. Because he tried to destroy Christians. Because his crimes against Christ, uh, if he were to measure them, they were beyond uh, anything that anyone else could, could do. In the very first Christian martyr after the resurrection of Christ, Stephen, Paul was there. Saul of Tarsus was there giving consent to the things that were going down. So he had he was guilty of these sins, but he goes on, of whom I am chief. Howbeit, he says, For this cause I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now, imagine that. Paul says, Paul says, I obtained mercy. And who better, who better to preach the gospel of salvation by grace alone to sinners, undeserving sinners, than someone who obtained mercy beyond what any of us could imagine. If if Paul could preach the gospel and he could preach it and say, if I who did these things obtained mercy then how much has the patience and forgiveness of God been demonstrated? He says as a pattern, as an example to others, which should also hereafter, he says, believe on him to life everlasting. And so he says in verse eight of Ephesians three unto me, who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ. So, Paul obtains mercy. Peter obtains mercy. They, they have the mystery revealed to them. But they didn't have a mystery revealed to them just only for their own sakes. They had the mystery revealed to them so that they could in turn reveal it to the people of God. To reveal it to the church through the preaching of the good news. Through the preaching of the good news. And so we see the mystery is also revealed to the church. Let me read to you from Colossians Chapter 1 verse 25 through 27. Which largely parallels here. This part in Ephesians. Speaking of Jesus Christ. That's what he's he's talking about. He says whereof I am made a minister. He's made a, a servant. That's what that word minister means. He made a servant of Jesus Christ. According he says to the dispensation of God. Which is given to me for you. He says Uh, God has given me this calling and this purpose. And Paul was equipped to do what he was tasked to do only in as much as God had given him that dispensation and that calling. He didn't take it upon himself, but he did it by the gift and the calling of God. And his purpose in being called was to serve the church. He says, God gave it to me for you, for you, Colossians, for you, Ephesians, for you. Wherever he was sent to minister. To fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery. He says which hath been hid from ages and from generations. But now is made manifest to his saints. To whom God would make known. What is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. So among the among the many ways to characterize The mystery that is being revealed. It's that Christ would come to dwell in you, in his people. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That Christ would come to save and to deliver us. That the Messiah, the promised Messiah would come into this world. And he would be a great deliverer for his people. But not only that, but he would come and make his presence with us and in us. And he says this mystery has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now is being revealed to his saints. And so the mystery is revealed to the church. The mystery is also revealed to the nations, to the nations. Uh, This connects back to what the one of the last times I preached here, when we talked about the uh, building of God, the temple that God has made of his people and how that temple is made up of The apostles and the prophets as foundation stones built upon Jesus Christ as himself, the chief cornerstone, the whole uh, bedrock of that whole foundation. But then you also Jews and Gentiles together are built together into that temple of God, a habitation of the spirit that God would make his presence with us and that that included not just. The descendants of Abraham chosen out from among all the nations, but that the nations of the world would be included in that one people of God and would be joined together and integrated together into that community in which God would dwell. And so it speaks here about this mystery being revealed to the nations. Uh, and that's, that's what he refers to when he talks about Gentiles, this mystery among the Gentiles, or uh, verse 8. He says that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. A truth that we, I think, we generally take for granted because we've, we've been made uh, recipients of these privileges. But we ought not to forget how uh, good God has been to include all the nations in his purpose so that we, too, wherever we're from, whatever our background, that we, too, have been by the grace of God included in to the family of God and made made of one people, made spiritually the seed of Abraham, whether some of us, some of us are uh, literally the seed of Abraham. Some of us are not. But all of us The people of God are made uh, spiritually the seed of Abraham and joined into the family of God. So the mystery is revealed to the nations. Uh, The the book of Romans speaks about this. When Paul concludes his letter to the Romans, he concludes it with this um, praise to God, this kind of benediction. Romans 16, 24, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. He says now to him that is of the power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. You, you begin to see that this idea of the mystery kept secret and now being revealed. This isn't just a isolated thing. This permeates the New Testament, it's a, it's a fundamental thing. He says, "But now is manifest." That's important. This mystery, uh, you know, you can sometimes speak about a mystery as something that just we'll never understand. That is a valid way to use the word. Oh, what do you think about this? Well, I don't know. It's a mystery. I'll never understand it. Um, but that's not the main point of the meaning. The meaning here is a mystery, something that was kept hidden. But when you come to the end of the story. The revelation comes. And the, the, that underlying truth is revealed. And we come to understand. Now is made manifest. And by the scriptures of the prophets. According to the commandment of the everlasting God. Made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. Made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. So now, now he says. In this time, in this time. Uh, 40 A.D., 45 A.D., this time period, but really that whole time is the beginning of this. Now, God is sending out his word into all the nations to the purpose that they would come to believe and obey the gospel message. And that they would come under the authority of Jesus Christ in their lives. That his reign as king of kings and lord of lords would be established Throughout the whole world. And that they. Jew. And Gentile. Have now been made participants in this. Through the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. And so. uh, He speaks about this. Obedience of faith. uh, Among all nations made known. To God he says only wise. Be glory. Through Jesus Christ forever. The wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is being revealed and extolled through this. Uh, This speaks about, in Ephesians 3, and we're about to look at this part about the mystery also being revealed to the angels. God's purpose and God's plan was hidden even from the angels. It speaks in the New Testament, it speaks about things that are experienced by his people. He says, which things angels desire to look into. There are things which God didn't even reveal to the closest angels, it seems, and was now they being made known. But when he speaks about these, um, he speaks about in verse 10 to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church, the manifold wisdom of God, principalities and powers in heavenly places. This, is, this isn't just talking about earthly powers. This is talking about heavenly powers. About angels. High-ranking angels. The highest rank, the principalities and powers in heavenly places. When Paul uses this language, he's not just talking about earthly powers. Ephesians 6 says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Some of the, some of the opposition that we experience... Perhaps the core and the most of the opposition we experience in this world comes from spiritual forces, not just from human uh, enemies. Ephesians 6.12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Or that could be translated in heavenly Spiritual wickedness. So that is part of the opposition that we face, not just flesh and blood. So there are good angels. And we we sometimes just use the term angels to encompass all of this. But there's good angels, there's bad angels, and there's different ranks. And uh, Paul is saying that actually to these principalities and powers, God is revealing by what he's doing in the church, his wisdom. I wanted to read you this quote. This is from an ancient, uh, not from the Bible, but an ancient Jewish book called The Wisdom of Solomon, which would have been familiar to, to the Jews in the time. And it speaks about the wisdom of God. He says, I learned both what is secret and what is manifest. For wisdom, the fashioner of all things, taught me. For in her there is a spirit that is intelligent, holy, holy. Unique, manifold, subtle, mobile, clear, unpolluted, distinct, invulnerable, loving the good, keen, irresistible, beneficent, humane, steadfast, sure, free from anxiety, all power, overseeing all, and penetrating through all spirits that are intelligent and pure and most subtle. For wisdom is more mobile than any motion, Because of her pureness, she pervades and penetrates all things. It's talking about the wisdom of God. You begin to get a picture of what Paul might have had in mind when he speaks about the manifold wisdom of God being revealed. For she is a breath and the power of God and a pure emanation of the glory of the Almighty. Therefore, nothing defiled gains entrance into her. For she is a reflection of eternal light, a spotless mirror of the working of God and an image of his goodness. Though she is but one, she can do all things, and while remaining in herself, she renews all things. In every generation, she passes into holy souls and makes them friends of God and <coughs> prophets. Now, he's personifying wisdom, like kind of like happens in the Proverbs, but this is talking about the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God in all its beauty, all its glorious attributes and that wisdom of God has been at work since before the foundation of the world to bring about the salvation of his people and to do it in such a way and to do it in such a way that the victory of God and the reign of Christ would be established in this earth and the Apostle Paul coming back to the uh, starting point the Apostle Paul was so Driven by this purpose. That he saw that any of the sufferings he endured was worth it. For the sake of being able to get that message out to all the nations. Whatever it took. So if he was in prison and it gave him a chance to go and to preach in Rome or other places. It didn't matter whether he got there of his own volition. Or bound in a ship going to try it. If he had the opportunity to preach the gospel, he was thankful for that opportunity to preach him because he gave it gave him the the opportunity to to reveal the mystery of Jesus Christ to the to the people that he was sent to go to, and that included all the nations of this world. And uh, we see so so. We've been talking about this mystery and we see bits and pieces of it, but you know, really what does this mystery encompass? What does, what does this include? What is he talking about? Well, I think we begin to see that when Paul talks about the mystery, he's really talking about the, the whole picture. Uh, why was it hidden? Why was it hidden for ages and generations? Well, it pleased God to do so, and we may not fully understand that. But we at least see part of it. We at least see part of it. Part of the reason he hid it is because he hid it from his enemies. He hid it from the devil himself. So that the devil didn't understand what God was doing all along. You know, The devil is very powerful. The devil has a lot of ability to manipulate things and influence people. Uh, but make no mistake, the devil does not have all knowledge. The devil does not know all that God is doing or knowing, going to do. He knows a lot. He read the scriptures. He studied them. He knew, he knew to even use the scriptures in his temptation of Jesus. But he did not know everything. Remember what happened when, when Jesus was crucified. Paul would later write about the crucifixion of Jesus. He said, if the, if the princes of this world knew if they knew that the suffering and death of Jesus on the cross for his people would bring about the victory of God over the powers of hell and death itself. If he knew, if the powers of this world knew, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Did the devil understand what God was doing? Did he understand the fullness of God's plan? What happened right before Jesus died? It said the devil entered in to Judah, Judas Iscariot to betray him. The devil wanted Jesus put to death. He wanted to bring this about because he did not understand. He might be an intelligent, created being, but his, his knowledge and intelligence is nowhere in comparison to the wisdom of God. And God, as he did again and again and again throughout his dealings with his people, he outsmarted him. He overcame him. And it says of the death of Christ in what might appear to the kings of this earth, the pilots and the Herods and the chief priests, and might have appeared even to uh, the devil and his angels to be the greatest defeat of Jesus Christ. It says in that. As he as he hung on the cross, as he bore the sins of his people, as he said, the the writing of the commandment of the ordinances of the law that were against us, which were contrary to us. It says he put them out of the way, nailing them to his cross and of the principalities and powers, those powers, those spiritual wickedness in high places. It says of them, he made a show of them openly triumphing over them in it. In his death. In his suffering. So, so, so judge not as the world judges. When we go through suffering. Or we see people we love suffer. Or endure hardship. Or endure, or endure difficulty. We think that it's a loss. We think that we're losing. We think that we're, we're, we're losing ground. But in God's purpose. Many times. The suffering. The suffering of Christ is certainly the ultimate example of this. His suffering, even his death, even his death brought about the victory of God. And that is a message which is worthy to be proclaimed among all nations. And as it is, that is how Jesus exercises his authority in this world and brings it about. His kingdom is Incredible! His kingdom is, is powerful, more powerful than any of the kingdoms of this world. But sometimes we don't recognize it because it doesn't look like the kingdoms of this world. Because he doesn't send a, an army of, of soldiers with the most uh, high-tech weapons out into this world to enforce his reign by, by the threat of, and fear of force. But instead, he exercises his authority among all nations by the truth. By the power of the truth. That's what he told Pilate. He said Pilate aren't you a king? He says my kingdom is not. Now from this world. Otherwise my servants would fight. He says they that are of the truth. They hear my voice. Uh, To this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world. That I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth. Heareth my voice. And let me tell you, that has not stopped just because Jesus has ascended up to the right hand of the Father. But in fact, it has multiplied beyond even what it was when he was on this earth. Because he has sent his people out into all parts of this world to fulfill the, 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 the proclamation of that message. He said to his disciples before he ascended, he says, all power is given me in heaven and earth. All power. The angels, the principalities, the powers, they've all been made subject to him. As Peter said, that he's gone up to the right hand of the Father, gone into heaven at the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. And what, how does he exercise that authority? He sends the disciples out. He says, go ye therefore into all the world. Teach all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son. And of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to observe all the things. That I have commanded you. See this is our reigning Lord. This is our king. This is our. uh, This is our master. And he sends his disciples out. To teach the truth. And people. That are of the truth. Hear the truth. And they willingly receive it. And they receive it with joy. And they receive it by grace. And through that, his purpose and his reign is established in the earth. And that mystery of God, which that not just the Jews, but the Gentiles also were to be included with that, is being revealed. And then let me just close with this from 1 Timothy 3.16. As Paul summarizes the mystery, and we see how all-encompassing it is. Uh, 1 Timothy 3.16, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory.